0: The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. I was sitting this morning as I was doing final preparations and praying and thinking, and I was looking at the passage of Scripture and realizing it's a long passage, and I kept saying to myself, we just need to shorten it. And I had just gotten back from the conference that you allowed me to go to last week or week before last, and one of my former professors and uh, pastor friends, and Duncan, said that because I never want to hear you saying you don't have time to read God's word so that you can get on to your 40 minutes of preaching. And I was like, oh, OK, because the reality is God's word is powerful. My preaching is not God's word is what shapes and changes our lives. So we're going to come now uh, to God's word in the Sermon on the Mount. It's chapter five. We're going to be picking up at verse uh, 21. I'm going to step back uh, into verse 17. Uh, But don't worry, it's not going to be on the screen yet. We'll get there to it. Uh, So hear now the word of the Lord. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than the whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said, that it, that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform the, what the, to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or by what is on, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, For you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading, to the hearing of it. Amen. And so we come to this sermon on the mount. This sermon that is preached to give us a kingdom perspective, being preached by the king And with that, he is saying, now you as citizens of this kingdom, uh, there is in essence a new law. There is uh, a law that has been given to you, but it has been corrupted over the years. It's been misunderstood uh, over the years. And that Christ is coming now to explain the law properly to us, to allow us to live our lives in a way that one writer put it, with a radical righteousness. A radical righteousness. It's not really radical. It's normative within the kingdom, but it's radical uh, in our current culture, both within the church and outside the church. The church doesn't like to be radical. We like to be sort of middle. Uh, We don't want to be too high or too low. We don't want to be too seen, but yet not not seen at all. We we want to sort of be uh, the gray man who is in the middle, who no one really notices, Jesus says that 's not life within the kingdom, life within the kingdom, and those pictures and the beatitudes of the Christian woman, the Christian man, those pictures of this person who 's been emptied out, recognizing their great need for Christ, filled in their hunger with the satisfaction that comes in christ 's righteousness alone, not by works, then goes out in mercy and in peacemaking in all of these things. And lives this life in the world to be seen. We are salt and we are light. We're to be noticed. That the work that is being done in us is also being done through us. That Christ is doing a work within our hearts. He's doing a work within our lives. But that work doesn't stay in, it moves through And so the world notices. And quite honestly, as much as we say we like to be noticed, we don't like to be noticed. We don't want to stand out too much from the crowd. We like to be part of the herd. And that happens within Christianity as much as it does within just the general secular culture. And so this morning, Jesus comes and he begins in this elongated teaching. Uh, about the law, about what does it mean for us to live in accordance with God's word, for this is God's word, and it is Christ who is speaking. So by way of reminder, the first thing simply to say this morning is that reminder of Christ in his relationship to the law. Christ said, I did not come to get rid of the law, to abolish the law. There's a misconception that Christ came and he said he fulfilled the law. Therefore, the law has absolutely no bearing upon the Christian life. It's now just our conscience. It's an internal clock. It's an internal voice. Uh, It's an internal motivation uh, that moves us. And the reality is no, it's both internal and external. God still has his law. And Christ said, I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill it. Everything within the law was pointing to him. He was the perfect ceremonial sacrifice. He was the perfect Messiah. He was all that the law, all that the prophets, everything of the Old Testament was pointing to him. And he was saying this, you've been hungry, you've been starving, you've been thirsty, and you've had these little foretastes along the way. Now the main course is here. Jesus is saying, I'm the main course. I'm everything that you've been looking forward to. I, I am the fulfillment of all of that. And the people around him, most of them on that day, they rejected the meal. They rejected him outright. Jesus was saying, listen, I came to fulfill the law. And when I teach on the law, I teach in equal status as the father. I speak, and when I speak and say, but this I say unto you, it carries an authority. It carries more authority uh, than what any preacher says, what any rabbi has said, uh, what any cleric at any time has said. Jesus speaks this way, but I say unto you. Jesus brings the spotlight on him. He says, "I I don't shy away from it. I'm speaking and I'm clarifying these things to you. And so here is the beginning of Christ's new teaching, second thought, Christ's new teaching, as it were, uh, on the old law. Notice that I said it's new teaching on the old law. It's not a new law. He is saying this law has been established, but now I'm going to teach you these things. And he gives six radical illustrations. And you recognize them in your Bibles because they probably have little headings. But you, as a student, would know that you would see that those headings come because at the beginning of each of those six, it starts with something like this. You have heard it said, or it was said of old, but now I say to you. He's setting up and saying the rabbinic tradition, the Pharisees, the scribes, the, those who were in the church teaching, they've said this, but now I'm coming and I'm actually going to teach you the truth of these things. And he gives six illustrations. Verses 21 to 26, radical relationships. He says your relationships have to be different than the relationships around the world. The law teaches us something different. There's a radical purity, picking up on this theme of a radical righteousness. There's radical relationships. There's radical purity, 27 to 30. There's radical marriage, 31 to 32. There's radical truthfulness, 33 to 37 there's radical justice, 38 to 42, and there's radical love, 43 to 48. And what Jesus was coming to describe and to unpack was this differentiation between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. The letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The Pharisees that Jesus was dealing with, they were the religious leaders of the day. They knew the law inside and out. They had memorized probably the entirety of the Old Testament. And they had taken the law and they had mixed it down and come up with a certain number of rules that they had to obey and certain things that they had to avoid. And as long as you did those things, you could say like the rich young ruler, when Jesus encountered him later in his ministry, he said, "What is the great, what are the greatest commandments? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, I've done those things said, I've perfectly completed the law because I've obeyed all of the rules. He understood the letter of the law. But Jesus is saying there's more to that. There's a spirit of the law uh, that you have failed to grasp. When someone comes to the law, comes to Christianity, comes to the Bible and sees it as a set of regulations. A set of regulations that says if you do certain things, and you stop doing other things, then you'll be in right relationship with the law. Jesus is now speaking to us. And most of us wrestle with that. Most of us are recovering legalists we find our righteousness we find our self-worth in what we do and in what we don't do. I hear it all the time framed this way. Tell me your spiritual story. Tell me your walk of faith with Christ. Tell me what it's like in your life as you've grown up and you now are walking with Christ. Well, I've worked very hard to be a good Christian. Okay. That's code word for saying I have done a lot of things good. I have not done a lot of bad things. I go to church. I, I do the things that I'm supposed to do. I'm trying to be a good Christian. Letter of the law. Jesus says so you've missed the point altogether. Because the law becomes to us and to them a set of rules and regulations to be fulfilled and obeyed with little or no consideration of the heart at all. You see, conformity to the law must not be thought of in terms of actions only. The law was designed to penetrate down onto a heart level. And so Jesus was beginning uh, to talk and to say that the law has to be seen both negatively about that which it restrains, but positively uh, about that which it promotes. That when uh, the Ten Com- in the Ten Commandments, it says, uh, thou shalt not lie. It doesn't mean just don't lie. It means live from a heart that's filled with integrity. Do everything that you can do to promote truth, to be a person that has at your very core a deep and penetrating integrity, that lying is just symptomatic of something at a heart level. You see, obedience to the law is not an end in and of itself. The purpose of the law is to lead us into a deeper understanding of who God is. Uh, The purpose of the law was to lead us into a deeper need for Christ to come out and then to fully enjoy him through it. it. It wasn't just to make your life terrible. Boy, I wish I had a panoramic view of most of you right now. You are looking at me like, move on, McCutcheon. I'm dying here we're like this, we're closed, we're sitting, we're looking down because we go, no, I see Christianity as this is what, don't do this and God's going to love you. And if you're here for the first time, maybe today, maybe you're stepping back into the church. I want you to hear this. Yes, the law has prohibitions, but the purpose of the law was actually to lead you into a deeper and more fulfilling relationship with God to live your life as it's designed to live. To come and to actually become more fully alive than you've ever been in your life. But it's by following God's design, not our own design in that. That the end of the law isn't just to say, well, I I obeyed the law, therefore I feel good and God loves me. No, it's to take us to a different place. And then one of the illustrations Jesus gives, the first one uh, that he gives here, uh, is in verse 21 and following about radical relationships. So look at this just for a moment. We don't have a lot of time to get to it, but he says, you have heard that it was said of old. You've heard it taught that you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whenever he insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and therefore remember that your brother is something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you pay the last penalty. Or the last penny. The improper understanding of that, what they had been taught was this. Don't commit murder. And if you do commit murder, you're going to go to the civil magistrate. That was the judgment. That was the word choice that they had there. They'd reduced the law to a matter of murder only and confined the sanctions of breaking the law uh, to mere punishment at the hands of a civil magistrate. In the midst of that, there was no mention of judgment by God. There was no mention in it at all uh, of God's holiness being upset that murder was the destruction, the the imago Dei, the image of God in another person. They simply said this, if you don't kill somebody and murder them unjustly, then you're going to go, then you'll be okay. They have simply and very conveniently reduced the law within bounds and measures designed to render them perfectly happy. It's dangerous to do this but I'll ask this question how many of you have murdered somebody this week you scare me based on what the pharisees understood and probably none of us would raise our hands and then we could all sit and go I'm right with God I've perfectly obeyed the law of God and then Jesus comes in as this preacher and he begins to do what we call meddling He goes down, he goes, I'm not just going to preach, I'm going to now go, and I'm going to start messing in your heart level, because here's what he said. What matters is not merely the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Jesus said, not only refrain from murder, but understand that anger is murder in seed form. He's saying that anger in your hearts towards any human being, according to God, is something that is as reprehensible as murder itself. Going further, he says, we must not, only, must not only stop there of having anger, but he said, you shouldn't ever even speak words that are murderous. Words like raka. Most of you haven't used the word raka this week, but the word raka uh, means in the Aramaic, it means empty-headed, numbskull, nitwit, jerk, bonehead, jackleg. leg. Starting to get closer to home? It's contempt for a person's Mind, you're stupid. Fool comes from the Greek moros. You can probably figure out where we get our word, moron. That we look, and in the English, it's talking about intellect, but originally it was talking about moral character. It was a lack of morals. It it was a person who you would say fell into further, they denied God and fell into further moral failing. It was contempt for a man's heart, you scoundrel. Jesus is saying that we must not think we are safe just because we haven't shed blood. Now, all of a sudden, if I ask the question, how many of you, based on Jesus' definition of murder, have committed murder this week? A few more of you. Go to a roundabout on the south end. (laughs) Go to the roundabout at Bluffton. You're going to commit murder. You idiot! Go in a circle! It's left. I was on Gumtree the other night and someone was going the opposite direction. I'm like, really? Where are you from, Ohio? Raka? Fool? Oh no, we're right there. We're right here. And Jesus says, you, you who just got upset with that sweet, wonderful person visiting our glorious island, who it's pitch black and there are no signs that you can read because we love turtles so much <laughs> that that person has now caused me to sin to a point where I'm damned to hell? Oh, no. Jesus went there. Jesus went there uh, with His understanding of the law. He said, guys, it's a heart-level matter. It, it takes you to a deep place. And with it, everyone now stands equally condemned. All of us are that. And he says, it's so serious, and I don't have time to unpack it fully. This radical righteousness that Jesus demands is not merely refraining from the outward sin. It is dealing with the interior sin as well. It's coming in, in our repentance, not simply going, God, forgive me for X. It's going underneath and going "Why?" And you can't say, basically, it's saying this, God, Thank you that I didn't go and commit adultery while I was out of town. Thank you for that. Uh, or we talk about a temptation and we say, well, I'm thankful that I didn't act upon the temptation. The law penetrates so deep that we have to go down and go, why was I even tempted though? What is it that's underlying even that temptation that led me for a moment to consider? Yes, praise God that you didn't act out on the temptation, but consider for a moment, allow the law to penetrate even further down to go, why were you even tempted in the moment? Christ was so concerned that believers not harbor evil thoughts towards one another that he gave steps. He said, this is the one time that Jesus says, interrupt your worship. He said it is so important that you deal with this, that you interrupt your worship. If you're heading into the temple and you're past the gates of uh, the Gentiles and through the courts of the men and through the courts of the women and, and you're right there and you're holding your sacrifice and you realize there's somebody that I'm not right with. He says leave your sacrifice there and go be made right. Don't be tempted by your religious outward expression to think that somehow that takes care of the matter. He says go and be made right. And what it leads to, and again, uh, I'm only going to be able to touch on this, but what it leads to is a deeper and fuller understanding of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. It's the last thing. Jesus had a deep and a profound understanding of the exceeding sinfulness of sin. Christ's understanding of the nature of the law uh, was to show us our desperate need of Christ. It, It was to show us how deep that sin goes within our lives. Remember how we joked and we said, cheer up, God is more holy than you want to believe that He is. Cheer up, you're worse than you want to believe that you are. You're going, how are those cheer ups? Well, it's cheering up by saying, look at these diverging arrows as they go across the page and you see how incredibly perfect and righteous God is that He won't even let us get away with saying you fool. He won't even let us get away with looking improperly on another person covetously with covetousness. Can't even say the word. We can't even look. And then we know our own hearts. Oh, no. I've done that and worse. Jesus says you need to understand the sinfulness of sin. You need to understand uh, that racism is profoundly damning within our lives for its misunderstanding and misapplication of, of the gospel. That these dynamics are all of these things. Most people don't understand the commandments properly. We don't understand that in order to break commandments 2 through 10, you have to first break commandment 1. There has to be something else that you're holding higher than your love for God. have no other gods before me. But when we do, we begin to commit these other things. We understand that this sin, he says, is so pervasive that it deforms, uh, that it shifts, even those things which are meant for good. He says, an eye which is meant to see the glory and the beauty of God is now shifted and tweaked by sin to see evil and to pursue it. That your hands, which are designed by God to do good works for him, he says, are now perverted by sin to do things. To see the destructive nature and perversion of sin in our lives. That it perverts and it destroys. And that we have to aggressively deal with it in our lives. We have to aggressively deal with it in our lives. In way of conclusion, simply saying this. He says, it's so serious that if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now sadly, literalists throughout the course of history have taken this literally. You read in the paper earlier this year. Saw in the news a young woman did this in front of her church. This year, she gouged out her eye. She had mental illness involved, but it was still taking this beautiful truth, manipulating it, and saying this is no. He's not saying go cut your hands off and go. But he's saying but take it so seriously that you'd be willing to do that. If there's something in your life that is causing you to fall, if there's something in your life that is continually keeping you from pursuing the glories and the beauties of God, get rid of it. If you're having a hard time with your phone, get rid of your phone. If you're having a hard time with lust, quit watching TV. But Bill, Jesus said, cut it out. If you take seriously our pursuit of him, do the things necessary so that we can live the life that he's called us to do. And some of you are going, see, you told us we can't go see R-rated movies. Nope, didn't tell you that. I'm not giving you more laws. I'm giving you a general principle that says this, what in your life is causing you to stumble and then ask the question, should I continue to have that in my life? Should I continue to keep that? No is the easy answer and the right answer in the midst of that. And then what all this does, and we'll conclude here, all this should show us your absolute need of Jesus Christ. The beauty of Christ who came. And when you see God's holiness and as it heads up and you see your own sinfulness and as it heads down, what I hope that you see transfixed in the middle of that is the glory of a massive cross on, behalf, on your behalf. Of Christ who said, I came and I perfectly lived under the law. I came and I never said raka. I came and I never said fool. There is anger and a righteous anger. But he said, I never sinned in the middle of. I never looked upon a woman lustfully. I never did anything at a heart level or at a flesh level. And I live perfectly so that you get my record. So that one day when we stand before God and he says, hey, how would you do in your life? We go, I failed miserably. But the only The only thing I can cling to is this one who didn't Christ, who is my law keeper, Christ, who is my fulfillment of the law on my behalf. I run and I cling to him. And now he says he takes up residency within you, that his Holy Spirit now dwells within you, because guess what? This battle for righteous living, is it difficult? Anybody else wrestle with righteous living or am I alone? Raise him up high because I'm feeling alone. There you go. Look around the room. Look, no, Keep your hands up and look around the room. I do this intentionally because so many of you live parallel, isolated lives. You think you're the only one who's wrestling with stuff and folks, you're not. But here's the beauty of that. He's given us several things in which to combat it. He's given us the Holy Spirit, which is in you. Ephesians 6 says, the battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against spiritual powers and principalities of this evil age. We have, it is a spiritual battle at work within you. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the body of Christ that you can live together. And you can battle together with other men and women and friends in high school and in college that you battle together for that. And he gives us a beautiful promise that says, hey, guess what? I rejoice in your battle scars. I I rejoice in the fact that you fought hard. That you ran the race. He says, for us, there is a crown of glory waiting one day that will make all of the things that we gave up here seem trivial in comparison Folks, the law penetrates deep. But I don't want you to walk away today feeling terrible about yourself. I want you today to walk away with a good grasp of reality, of your own condition, and then see the reality of Christ on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, there are some who are here today who needed to be disturbed a little because we feel really good about ourselves and we haven't done like that person and we fill in the blank that we sit and we go well I've obeyed the law perfectly I've done these things and father it's led within our lives to an arrogance into a pride to a lack of grace to a lack of generosity and father I pray that you'd penetrate into that heart and you would show your need of Christ and father for others who are absolutely condemned by their failures this morning they're sitting and the weight of sin is so glaring to them that they're terrified and they can't even lift their eyes up. I pray that You would turn their eyes to You. And that they would see Christ today who perfectly obeyed on their behalf and is offering to them today by grace, through faith, this life that You've given. And then as it takes root in our hearts, it's seen. And I pray that we would be seen in the world today. You Who would, you would use us. For it is not upon our own foundation. Of righteousness we stand. But on Christ, Christ the solid rock. To him be all glory. Amen.